0: Okay, brothers and sisters, praises be to our loving God that we are again gifted with this opportunity to study his words and his commands. If you notice, we are guided so much by the passages of scripture in the work that we do and in the work that we will continue to uphold for the glory of Abba, Yahuwah and his son, Yahusha HaMashiach. Now, today we're going to study about the red heifer. I'm sure not many people are aware of the sacrifice of the red heifer. However, it is in scripture, and it is connected and relevant to the work we do now, and also to end-time prophecy. This is why it's so relevant, especially since this coming Saturday, we have a dedication worship service. What better way to prepare ourselves than to study all about the red heifer which begins in Numbers chapter 19. Now before we get there, we, let's go ahead and backtrack a little bit and let us recall where we left off in the book of Numbers. In number 17, we talked about the rod of Aaron, remember, which symbolizes the authority that God has given Aaron concerning the priesthood. The priesthood was important to God and so we need to recognize the authority of the priesthood during the end times or the Christian era this priesthood was taken over by Yahusha the rod from the stem of Jesse and so through the priesthood of Yahusha we become his priest to do his work in these last days however as priests of God as people who work in the temple the temple nowadays being the body of Yahusha. We need to also be cleansed. We need to be dedicated. And during the days of Israel, the priests and the Levites who worked in the temple and including the people of Israel who needed to be cleansed went through the process of being cleansed or purified through the red heifer sacrifice. This is why it is so timely and so relevant because of the work that we are going to do. So what is the red heifer sacrifice? Why was it issued by God for the people of Israel? Let's begin in the book of Numbers 19:1 to 2. Yehuah said to Moses and Aaron, this is a requirement of the law that Yehuah has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without defect or blemish, and that has never been under a yoke. And so what was the command issued by Yehuah God? to Moses and to Aaron for the purpose of cleansing the people of Israel. Yahuwah, God says, tell the Israelites to bring a red heifer. Now what on earth is a heifer? A heifer is a young female cow that has not born a calf. That's a heifer. And so in this sacrifice, it must not just be a calf. It must be a female calf that has not born a calf. Not only that, it has to be what color? Red. That makes this sacrifice or this animal to be sacrificed extremely rare. How many here have ever seen a red heifer before? Probably not. If you go to the zoo, you probably will not see a red heifer. It's extremely rare. The rarer it is, the more valuable it is, which shows us The value of the sacrifice, right? Because it's so rare. You can find a lamb, you can find a goat, you can find the bull, but a red heifer, that is a rarity. And so this tells us this sacrifice is very, very important. Not only must it be a heifer and a red one at that, the Bible says it must be without defect or blemish and never been under a yoke it has never been used to do any kind of plowing or working out the land it has never it must never be used to do any kind of grazing and so it is without defect or blemish and it must never been under a yoke so this must be sacrificed however the sacrifice of the red heifer was unique very different from the other sacrifices How so? Numbers 19 verse 3, give it to Eleazar the priest. It is to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Do you notice why this this sacrifice is different? The other sacrifices for the sins of people, where was it done? It was done inside the camp, right? It was done within the tabernacle system. It was in the courtyard where you have the altar of the burnt sacrifice. It was burnt right by the tabernacle, but not with the red heifer. Where is it to be slaughtered? The Bible says outside the camp during the days of Solomon when the temple was built. This is how it looked like. And so the heifer was outside the camp. Directly across is the camp or the tent of the tabernacle. You see that, right? And so the calf or the red heifer is to be slaughtered outside of camp. Now, after it is slaughtered, what is, what are they going to do? What is the next step? In the book of Numbers 19 verse 4, then Eleazar the priest is to take some of its blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tent of meeting. So after the red heifer has been slaughtered. He will. The priest will take some of its blood in his hand. And what will he do with the blood? He will sprinkle it. How often? How many times? Seven times. I want you to remember that number. He will sprinkle it seven times in front of what? In front of the tent of meeting. This is why the priest must have eye, the direct contact or direct eyesight Direct vision of the tent of meeting. If you notice, you can see the priest standing there, right? You notice he's looking straight to the tent. So the tent is visible to the priest. Why? Because the Bible says he is to sprinkle the blood seven times in front of the tent of meeting. And so the priest must have a direct line of sight to the tent of meeting. And so he will take some of the blood from. The dead animal. After this, what is to happen next? In Numbers 19, verse 5, while he watches, the heifer is to be burned. It's hide, flesh, blood, and offal. In the normal sacrifice, what do you do with the blood? You pour it out, right? You cut, the, you slaughter the animal at the neck, you pour out the blood. In this case, you only take some of the blood, you sprinkle it seven times, the rest of the blood stays in the animal. And then it is to be burned outside of camp. While it is burning, what is going to be added to it? Numbers 19, verse 6, the priest is to take some cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wool and throw them onto the burning heifer. So while the heifer is lit up and it's burning, what does the priest add to it? Cedar wood, number one. Number two, hyssop. And number three, scarlet wool. And so when it continues to burn, eventually, what would happen to it? It would become ash, right? What is to be done with the ash? 19, verse 9, a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and put them in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp. They shall be kept by the Israelite community for use in the water of cleansing. It is for the purification from sin. Take note, there's a purpose for why this is happening. The ashes of the heifer, the red heifer, together with the hyssop, the scarlet wool, together with all of the things that were added there, that is going to be used up in water. It's going to be mixed with water, right? It's going to be gathered together by an appointed person. He will gather the ashes to to concoct or to create a water of cleansing. What is the purpose of water of cleansing? It is for the purification from sin. Its purpose is not to take away sin or expiate sin, but to purify from sin. Because you see, sin contaminates. Sin has consequences. So its function is different from the atonement sacrifices. It is for the cleansing, which is the result of sin. And so how is this to be used? The ashes, how can it become a water of cleansing? 1917 to 19, for the unclean person, put some ashes from the burn purification offering into a jar and pour fresh water over them. And so what they will do is they take the jar, which has the ashes, Right, The ashes are kept in a safe and uh, ceremonially clean place. And whenever there's a cleansing that's needed, they will take some of the ash and they will pour water over it. When the ash and the water combine, it becomes a water of purification, a water of cleansing. And who are to be cleansed with this water of purification? The unclean person. Take note. When the Bible says unclean person, it doesn't necessarily mean, mean a sinful person. Because to be ceremonially unclean was not sin, as we might think of it. it. It really meant that one was barred from the regular fellowship, service in the temple, worship of God, and their fellowship with God's people until they were made clean. You see, a person can be without sin, but they can be unclean. For example, when a person or a mother gives birth. What becomes of that mother? Becomes unclean, right? What does that mean? It means the mother cannot perform in this any of the ceremonies and worship of loving Alba. It's because he, she is unclean. Is she guilty of sin? No. So sin and uncleanness were not necessarily the same. Because uncleanness is what causes you to be unable to carry out temple-related worship. To do that, to be able to serve Yahuwah God, it was not enough that your sins be forgiven. You also had to be cleansed by the water of purification. For example, a person who touches a dead body, Numbers 19.11, whoever touches the dead body of anyone will be unclean for Seven days. So, for example, you live in a house and you live with someone. Someone dies. You're right next to that person. Did you commit any sin? No, unless you killed the person, right? But if he just died and you happen to be there, you are considered unclean for how many days? Seven days. So you're not guilty of sin, but you need to be cleansed if you want to perform the services in the temple of God. So the purpose of the water for purification was to cleanse you so that you will be able to serve, to be able to work in performing your duties before Yahuwah our God. So what what needs to happen to a person who is unclean for them to be clean? Let's read number 17 to 19. For the unclean person, put some ashes from the burnt purification offering into a jar and pour fresh water over them. Then a man who is ceremonially clean is to take some hyssop, uh, dip it in the water, and sprinkle the tent and all the furnishings and the people who were there. He must also sprinkle anyone who has touched a human bone or a grave or someone who has been killed or someone who has died a natural death. The man who is clean is to sprinkle the unclean person on the third and seventh days. And on the seventh day, he is to purify him. The person being cleansed must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and that evening he will be clean. So if if a person is deemed unclean, because, for example, they get in contact with a dead corpse or a dead animal, they need to go through the purification process. How so? On the third and the seventh day, they are to receive the sprinkling of water. What kind of water? Water that is mixed with the red heifer Ash. That is what will make you clean. And if one is not cleaned or cleansed by the red heifer ash with the water mixed in, what shall what is the meaning of that? In the book of Numbers 19:12, he must purify himself with the water on the third day, and on the seventh day, then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third and seventh days, he will not be. Clean. So a person can be accidentally be uncleansed, but you cannot be accidentally be cleansed. It has to be done on purpose. This is why on the third and seventh day, you have to go through that process of purification, being sprinkled with water that's mixed with the ashes of a a red heifer. That is the process of cleansing and of dedicating yourself again to be able to perform the works and service of Yahuwah our God. Well, what if a person does not bother to cleanse himself? Maybe he or she will say, well, I did not commit sin. It's not my fault. And so they don't go through the process of purification. Verse 13, whoever touches the dead body of anyone and fails to purify himself defies Yahuwah's tabernacle. That person must be cut off from Israel because the water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. His uncleanness remains on him. But if a person who is unclean does not purify himself, he must be cut off from the community because he has defiled the sanctuary of Yahuwah. The water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on him and he is unclean. So if a person deliberately strays away from being cleansed, Through this process, what evil does he commit? The Bible says he defiles the tabernacle and the sanctuary of Yahuwah God. Why? Because unless he's cleansed by the process, his uncleanness remains in him. And eventually he is cut off from the community of the people of Israel. This is why you can probably see why it's so important to be cleansed by the ashes of a red heifer right because with the ashes of a red heifer a person can ceremonially be able to worship and serve God inside his temple without the cleansing one would not be able to do that because he would defile the tabernacle and the sanctuary of God you know the red heifer sacrifice like The other sacrifices, as a matter of fact, like the other scriptures of the Old Testament, always points to who? Yahusha. Do you believe that? Because Yahusha said, you study scriptures, you do well, but always remember the scriptures speak of me. So many of the ceremonies, so many of the rituals, they point forward to who? Yahusha, our king, including the red heifer there's a there's a connection a messianic connection we, that the, the red heifer uh, points to this is why we need to know what that is because we belong to messiah right we belong to the messiah and so we need to know how the red heifer sacrifice relates to messiah and this is what we can look into for example in numbers 19:1 to 2 it says יהוה said to Moses that this red heifer is to, be with, is to be without defect or blemish. Who is without defect or blemish? Yahushua, 1 Peter 1.19. He's sinless and he's spotless. In Numbers 19.3, he is to be taken or killed outside the camp. Where was Yahushua killed? Was it inside the camp or outside the camp? Bible says in Hebrews 13, under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. The bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Yahushua suffered and died outside the city gates. So Yahushua, just like the red heifer, suffered and died outside the city gates or the camp. Also, the priest is to take some cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wool. What do you think that points to? The crucifixion, right? For example, cedar wood. What does that stand for? Cedar is extremely resistant to disease and rot. And re- it reminds us also of the wood upon which Yahusha was hung on the cross. Does it not? Hyssop. The hyssop was used to give Yahusha when he was on the cross about to die to be given that sour drink. The hyssop was used. And the hyssop also was used in the book of Psalms 51.7. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And the Bible says that the scarlet wool was used, to was added to the burning heifer. How do you get wool? How do you get scarlet wool? What color is scarlet, by the way? Red, right? I mean, wool. How do you get wool during that time? Where does wool come from? Sheep. How do you get the red color? How do you get scarlet wool when you dip it in? Blood. And so we we are seeing the blood of the lamb, right? Not only that in Matthew 27, 27, 28, then the governor's soldiers took Yahusha into the praetorium and gathered a whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. So you can look at these symbols. You can look at these uh, different signs And they point to Yahusha HaMashiach. What else? In Numbers 19.9, a man who was clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and put them in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp. After Yahusha died, what happened to him? When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And so for a place to be ceremonially clean, it has to be a new tomb. Because there has to be no dead body near it. And for it to be clean, it had to be hewn out of the rock. And this was exactly the place where Yahushua's body was taken into. Again, we can see the messianic connection. What else? Numbers 19, 12, 17, he must purify himself with Water. Put some ashes from the burn purification offering into a jar and pour fresh water over them. And so for the ashes of a heifer to be able to have efficacy, it must be combined with what? With water. The death combined with water. What does that remind you of? Death and water. What does that remind you of? No idea? Romans 6, 3 to 4, for surely you know that when we were baptized into union with Christ Yahushua, we were baptized into union with his death by our baptism. Then we were buried with him and shared his death in order that just as Christ was raised from death by the glorious power of the Father so also we might live a new life. You see, for us to benefit from the sacrifice of Yahushua, we need to be in union with him in his death. How so? By being baptized in water. And so we can see the symbolism here, the messianic connection, the ashes of a heifer, which looks at death, right? And mixed with water, which is a symbol of baptism. The result is cleansing and purification. And the result of this is that death becomes and leads to a new life, a picture of baptism in union with Yahushua. One more, Numbers 19, verse 4. Eleazar the priest is to take some of its blood, remember, and on his finger and sprinkle it how many times? Seven times. Did you know that Yahusha shed his blood for us seven times? Yeah. Seven times Yahushua shed his blood for us. When was the first time? In Gethsemane, before he was crucified, He prayed to Abba. Remember his famous prayer? If it be possible, may this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He was in such agony. So much so that when he prayed, the Bible says, his sweat became like great drops of blood. That's first. How else did he shed his blood for us? Matthew Matthew 27, 26 of Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Yahushua flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. He was also flogged on the back. So his back shed blood. So, so far we have uh, the sweat pouring blood. We have the back bleeding. What else? In Matthew 27, 29, he was given a crown of what? Thorns. So his forehead also shed blood. What else? Matthew 27:35. Then they crucified him. To crucify, what do they need to do with your with your hands? They had to nail you, right? On the cross with your hands. And so Yahusha's hands also shed blood, not just his hands. In Luke 24:39, it says, Behold my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have when he said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And so his sweat began to show blood. His back shed blood. His head shed blood. His hands shed blood. His feet shed blood. What else shed blood? In verse In John 1934, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And immediately blood and water came out. And so what also shed blood, it was his side, right? Because the soldier wanted to make sure that he was already dead. And so the soldier pierced his side and when water came out, that was the proof that he was already dead. And so he shed blood from head to toe. Not only that, in Isaiah 53 verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities he also shed blood on the inside what is a bruise bleeding on the inside and so Yahusha went through great suffering he sweat blood from the, his head the crown of thorns caused him to shed blood with his hands he shed blood with his feet he shed blood from the side he shed blood from his back he shed blood From the inside, he shed blood. Every part of his body shed blood. This is why when he was hanging on the cross, you know how he looked like? He looked scarlet red. This is why it was befitting that the color of the red heifer would be what? Red. It would point to the crucifixion of Yahushua. Hamashiach this is why in Hebrews 13 11 to 12 what did the apostles tell us about the red heifer sacrifice 13 11, 12 under the old system the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin that was one kind right and the bodies of animals were burned outside the camp that was the red heifer sacrifice so also Yahushua suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. This is why brethren, as we have seen so many times, many of the practices, the rituals, the sacrifices of the Old Testament point to who? Yahusha. The scripture is about Yahushua, Messiah. This is why as people who follow Yahuwah are God, we need to be convinced that we will always look up to and look into none other than Yahusha HaMashiach himself. Because the scripture, its purpose is to bring us to Yahusha HaMashiach, not to any other person here on earth, but to Yahusha alone. This was by plan and by the purpose of Yahuwah our God. So the red heifer points to Yahusha. Not only that though, the red heifer also points To end time events and prophecies. Did you know that? This is why it's very exciting that we study the red heifer because of its relationship with the end time. Are we in the end times? Oh, absolutely. And you're going to see today exactly why we're so very close to the end of the ages. You see, before the end of the ages will come. Before the end of the age will come, Yahushua gave some prophecies. He gave some signs, right? Right. What were those signs? Let's read the book of Matthew 24, 1 to 3. Yahusha left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. one will be thrown down as Yahusha was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately. Tell us. They said... When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So here's Yahushua. After leaving the temple, he pointed to the buildings. And among the buildings, he emphasized was the temple. What did he say concerning the temple? He said, I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down so Yahushua speaking to his disciples right there and then he said this temple is going to be what is going to be destroyed was that fulfilled oh yeah 70 AD it was destroyed precisely as how Yahushua describes it not one stone here will be left on another everyone will be thrown down however he was also asked not just about the events during the first century, but also in the end of the age. And so he was asked about signs of the coming of and the end of the age. What did Yahusha say in Matthew 24, six to eight? And you will hear of wars and rumors of war, see that you were not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Are you familiar with this prophecy? I think so, right? The Bible says, Yahushua says, these signs will take place when the end of the world is near, the end of the age is near. And what are some of these signs? Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. We know this was fulfilled in the first two world wars, 1914. And when was World War Number 2? I forget World War Number 2. 19... When was that? 1939. 1939? Yeah, 1914, 1939. And then there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes, and then Yahushua says, that's just the beginning. These are but the beginning of sorrows. And sure enough, we can see nowadays much of Isaiah 24, if you study Isaiah chapter 24, they're happening in sequence, one after the other corresponding to the book of Luke chapter 21. The events in which Yahusha tells us in advance are the, the beginning of sorrows are unfolding. However, it doesn't stop there. Yahusha goes on. Remember, he's telling us about what will happen when the end is near. He also says in Matthew 24 verse 15, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken up, by Daniel, the prophet, standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. So brethren, Yahushua's is telling us something is going to happen. Something that we need to understand. What is that? Yahusha says the prophecy of Daniel is going to be fulfilled. What is that? He speaks of someone who will bring about the abomination of desolation. How so? This person will stand in the holy place, even though he has no right to stand in the holy place. So if there's a holy place, what would that mean? There is a, what would that mean? If there's a holy place, that means there's a temple. In Matthew 24, 1, we just read a while ago, Yahushua's telling his disciples, the temple is going to be destroyed however for 15 to be fulfilled there has to be another temple so far there's been two temples the one that was built by solomon dedicated by solomon the first temple the one that was rebuilt during the days of ezra nehemiah right that's the second temple that's the temple that yahushua mashiach encountered when he was here on Earth that was destroyed in 70 A.D. There's going to be a third temple because if there's no third temple, then how can this be fulfilled? This is why when that third temple is built, you know what that means. What does that mean when the third temple is built? Yahusha is coming soon, right? Why? Because when that third temple is built, it sets up the opportunity for this prophecy to be fulfilled. This person, who will. Bring the abomination of desolation as prophesied by Daniel will be fulfilled. This is why Yahusha says, let him understand. And so we need to understand that further. What do you think? I think we need to go back to Daniel just a little bit. Is that okay? Yes. Because it's so important. Yahushua says, if you understand, if you read this, go back to Daniel. This is what Yahushua is telling us. And so let's go back to Daniel 9:25 to 27. It says, know and understand this. From this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens and sixty two sevens. I want to pause there for a while. Do you remember this prophecy? This was part of Yahuwah's plan for the restoration of Israel. Remember, Israel was held captive in Babylon. However, Daniel was given a prophecy and the vision for how Yahuwah plans to restore the people of Israel. Remember, Israel is God's firstborn. And so he has not given up on Israel. As proof of this, he gave Daniel a plan on how he will restore Israel. How is it going to happen? It says there, know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one is seven sevens and 62 sevens. Who is the anointed one referred to there? Yahushua, our king. And so there will be a time when Yahushua, our king, will present himself on a donkey to, re- to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah. Remember? And when that time happens, and when we compare it to the time when the decree has been given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, how long is that span of time? Seven sevens and 62 sevens. Remember, this is biblical sevens. When it says seven sevens, these are seven years. So seven sevens and 62 sevenths, 62 plus seven is what? 69 Sevens. When it says sevens, it means years. So these are 69 sevens of years. And so what the Bible is telling us is that from the time the decree to rebuild Jerusalem up until the coming of Yahushua HaMashiach, riding on a donkey, there will be 69 sevens. 69 sevens of years. In one year in the biblical calendar are, are 360 days. So 69 times 7 times 360, you get how many days? 173,880. Was that fulfilled? We studied this before. We know in on March 14, 445 BC, there was a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. On April 6, 32 AD, Yahushua arrives as the prince on a donkey. And when you subtract the dates, you get how many days? One hundred and 73,880 days. And so after 69 weeks, Yahushua is going to come. Okay? How many weeks? How many weeks did Yahuwah give for the full restoration of Israel? Let's go to Daniel 9.24. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And so in Yahuwah's plan for the restoration of Israel, it's going to take how long? Seventy sevens. How many sevens have been spent when Yahusha came as prince? 69 how many sevens are left one right so we've already finished the 69 sevens when yahushua has come however after the finishing of the 69 sevens what will happen next let's read daniel nine twenty-five to 27 in verse 26 it says after the 62 sevens plus the other seven which makes a 69 the anointed one will be cut off. And so before we continue reading this passage, the Bible says after the 62 sevenths, right? Because remember the 69 sevenths was divided into seven sevens and 62 sevens. So after the 62 sevenths, in other words, after Yahushua comes, there's going to be an interval of time before the last seven is going to begin to tick. And so in this interval of time, after the 62 sevens, what will happen? Bible says the anointed one will be cut off. What does that mean? He's going to die. Was that fulfilled? Yes. Yahusha was cut off or killed, Nisan 1432 AD or April 1032 AD. After this, what is going to happen? Remember, these events will take place before the last seven. There are 70 sevens. And so before the last seven will begin to tick its clock, these events will take place first. First, Yahushua is going to be killed. Afterwards, what's going to happen? The Bible says the people of the ruler will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So the city of Jerusalem, the temple of Jerusalem is also going to be destroyed. Because it says the sanctuary is also going to be destroyed destroying and so where's the sanctuary at is it not in the temple this is why this was fulfilled 70 80 70 AD complete destruction of the temple and also the city of jerusalem afterwards what's going to happen then the end the end will come like a flood and so the prophecy says after the destruction of jerusalem something's going to happen to the people of israel their end will come like a flood what does that mean The flood will scatter the people throughout different places. This is what we call the Jewish dispersion or the diaspora. Did that also happen? Yes, the people of God, because of their unfaithfulness, they were scattered into different places. And after this, what will happen next? War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed haven't you noticed since the diaspora there's been a lack of peace amongst the Israelite people they're the subjects of hatred the subjects of war right people try to exterminate them this is why when you look at the history of the Judaic people the Israelites they have a history of warfare and desolation this is why When people look at the story of Israel, they can see the wrath of God, that God indeed has have disciplined him. But Yahuwah God has not given up on the people of Israel. And so one after the other, we can see these events taking place after the the diaspora, after the warfare and the wars that will ravage the people of israel what's going to happen next in verse 27 here's the part he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven that's the last seven when it says seven how many years is that seven years and so there's someone this he is not referring to yahusha but his antithesis the antichrist he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven seven years that's the last in that seven years what's going to happen it says in the middle of the seven he will put an end to sacrifice and offering and on a wing of the temple he will set up an abomination that causes Desolation. Do you see that? And so, in the last seven years, which is called the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to appear. He will make a covenant with many. And in this covenant, it will involve the use of the temple. And so, what does that mean? It means the time will come, whether we like it or not, that the temple the third temple will be what rebuilt why do we why do we know for sure this is the third temple because in verse 26 it mentions it was destroyed now in verse 27 it is seen standing again and so offering and sacrifices are taking place again this is why brethren We're telling you the time will come, whether we like it or not. There's going to be a third temple that's going to be built. However, after three and a half years, how many days in three and a half years? Because it says in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. How many days in three and a half years? Which is the midpoint of seven years. One thousand two hundred and sixty days. So after 1260 days at the midpoint, he's going to put an end to sacrifice and offering, and he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. How so? In the book of 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 down to 4, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, Order this worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So according to Apostle Paul, before that day comes, there's going to be a temple. We've studied this passage before. We know, according to Apostle John, even before this day comes, the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. This is why we have many iterations of the Antichrist figure. What is characteristic of the Antichrist figure? He will replace who? Yahushia. He will be a successor of Yahushia, a replacement of the Mashiach. And so there's going to be a final iteration of this Antichrist figure. And what will he do? He will sit physically on the actual temple of God. And he will show himself that he is God. This is the final iteration. He will set up the abomination and causes desolation. And when he sits there, what will he also do? In Revelation 11, 3 to 7, and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. How many years is that? Three and a half years. They'll be given power, right? And who are these two witnesses? I don't know. There are some who are saying it's Netanyahu and Trump. I don't believe that to be the case because these are witnesses of Yahuwah and Yahusha. They will preach or prophesy or preach the word of Yahuwah God. So I don't believe it's them too. And when they come, you will know. Who, who are they? I have no idea. All I can tell you is it's not me. Okay. I'm not one of the two witnesses. I have no idea who. I'm never going to say and I'm not preaching. I'm one of the two witnesses. No, because there are some who are saying that I'm claiming to be one of the two witnesses. No, I'm not. I have no idea who they are. But you will know once they come. Because we will have no room for doubt when they come and they begin to prophesy. However, if you look at verse 7. Now when they have finished their testimony after three and a half years, what's going to happen to them? The beast. Comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. This is why the antichrist, the beast, they're going to overpower them at the midpoint of the seven years, the last seven before the complete restoration of Israel. And so, in the tribulation, at the midpoint, we will see this man of sin revealed. And he's going to kill and attack and kill and overpower the two witnesses. And so what we know for sure is this, brethren, there will be a third temple before Yahushua returns. This is why we should be watchful for what's happening there in Israel. Are they going to rebuild? Are they building a third temple? You know, just over 72 years ago, it was unthinkable to, to even conceive the possibility that the third temple would be built. This is why people 72 years ago when they read scriptures about the third temple, the all thing is allegorical, symbolical. It's not gonna actually physically happen. However, something happened about 72 years ago. You know what happened about 72 years ago? Preparations have been made for the third temple. How so? Yahuwah's hand is in this. For example, in 1948, Israel became a nation. That was a miracle. Israel became an official nation. They were registered. (laughs) Because Yahuwah God works. Recognizing the need for registration, for legality, things making beneficial. Israel became an official nation. They were registered as a nation. Why is that important? Because their work, they're going to do something in the end times. Can you imagine if they were not registered and they just say, oh, well, anyways, God knows who we are. We're not going to register as a nation. But they did by God's will. They were granted the opportunity to become a state, to become the Israel, the nation of Israel. 1967, another miracle. They captured Jerusalem. And what is in Jerusalem, the place where they must build the temple of Yahuwah. When we say the temple, we're talking about the physical temple, right? The third physical temple. That's why since 1967, there has been a movement in Israel to rebuild the holy temple. Today, many of the preparations for the third temple have already been completed. Did you know that? There's an institution called Uh, the Temple Institute. You can look it up online if you want. The Temple Institute. There's an organization called the Temple Institute who are preparing everything for the third temple. And so today, many of the preparations have been completed, including the sacred worship vessels, priestly garments to be worn by the Levites in temple services. Moreover, over 500 young Jewish men descended from the tribe of Levi have been trained as temple priests to fulfill their duties of worship and sacrifice in the temple. And so the people are being prepared, the garments being prepared, the vessels are being prepared for the rebuilding of the temple. But there's a big problem. You know what the problem is? The main obstacle is that the temple mount is currently occupied by the dome of the rock. Remember that? And so the op- the, uh, the idea is, if Israel is going to rebuild the temple, what will they have to do with the temple, with the domed rock? Well, they're going to have to remove that. And if anyone there remove that, what's going to happen? What do you think? It's going to be war. Will there be peace? No, it's going to be war. There's no way There's no way the the Arab people are going to let the people of Israel remove the Dome of the Rock. You're asking for war, right? So there's no way that's going to happen. However, there's some archaeologists today, namely archaeologist Tuvia Zagiv, who forcefully argues for both a lower and southern positioning of the temples on the Temple Mount to support this claim, because what he's saying is, The actual foundation of the original temples was south of where the Dome of the Rock is today. You see the uh, red outline in in the figure there? That's where the original temples resided. It is south and lower the place where the Dome of the Rock currently sits. To support this claim, He draws on evidence from the water aqueduct levels, the discrepancy in heights between the Hilda and Siponus gates in the temple, the location of the Antonia fortress, and the angles of vision necessary in the story recorded by Josephus of King Herod Agrippa, illicitly watching temple sacrifices from the the tower of his nearby palace. From his analysis of these elements, Sadiv concludes, that the temple stood well below the present day level of the mount. And he posits that the only area on the Temple Mount low enough to be the site of the temples under the El a Trophy Fountain between the Dome of the Rock and the El Aska Mosque, the bedrock under the Dome of the Rock drops away sharply to the south, allowing for Sagib's assertion that the temple stood 16 meters below the current height of the temple. Mount Isn't that fascinating? And he's not the only one who's saying this. Other archaeologists and Hebrew scholars are agreeing with him that the actual place where the temple used to sit does not occupy the current place where the Dome of the Rock sits. As a matter of fact, Tuvia Zagiv went on a helicopter over the temple mount and he used infrared. What is infrared? It, infrared basically detects heat. And so when rock is subjected to the sunlight, it produces heat. When you have uh, something other than rock, like a structure from maybe a foundation of the temple, if that was to absorb some heat, it would keep the heat a lot longer. And so using infrared technology from above after sunlight, it was able to see a picture. On the place where the Dome of the Rocks is situated, they find a pentagonic structure, which means what? Which means the temple would never have been built there because the pentagon structure was never given by Yahuwah God by which to structure the temple. But underneath it, to the south, what do they find? They find what is in the red there, the holy place, a structure For the holy place, it is the foundation of where the temples were built, therefore, the good news is (laughs) to be to build the third temple would not mean you have to get rid of the Dome of the Rock. You cannot build the temple to where it was before without getting rid of the Dome of the Rock, so they will sit side by side is not that exciting that's exciting. However, there are still some other issues to be resolved, like political issues, right, amongst the nations. However, 2020, this was issued, September 15, 2020, the Abraham Accords Declaration. How many here are familiar with the Abraham Accords Declaration? This was issued by President Trump, right? And because of the Abraham Accords Declaration, what does it set itself up for? well, what is its purpose? This is what is recorded in that document. We, the undersigned, recognize the importance of maintaining and strengthening peace in the Middle East and around the world based on mutual understanding and coexistence, as well as respect for human dignity and freedom, including religious freedom. We encourage efforts to promote interfaith An intercultural dialogue to advance a culture of peace among the three Abrahamic religions and all humanity. So not only did Israel become a nation, not only did they capture Jerusalem, not only have they found a place where they can build a temple, now the United States is stepping in and they give an accord, which allows for the possibility That three Abrahamic religions can now coexist. What are those three Abrahamic religions? Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. How will they coexist? They will have religious freedom. What does that mean? The possibility opens up for the temple to finally be built where it once stood. Isn't that exciting? And you know, just this, just today, just today, this came out in the news, December 10, 2020, Israel-Morocco agreed to normalize relations in the latest U.S.-brokered deal. What does that mean? Well, Israel-Morocco agreed on Thursday, that's today, to normalize relations in the deal brokered with U.S. uh, help, making Morocco the fourth Arab country to set aside hostilities with Israel in the past four months. As part of the agreement, U.S. President Donald Trump changed longstanding U.S. policy and recognized Morocco's sovereignty over the Western Sahara. So we can see the peace forming in the Middle East, cooperation among the three Abrahamic-based religions, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, opening the possibility, perhaps even high probability, That sometime very soon, they will start building a temple. The third temple. So we can see the preparations for the third temple. 1948, what happened? Israel became a nation. Was that a miracle? Yeah. 1967, Israel captured Jerusalem. That was a miracle too. We believe the hand of God was involved. In 2020, Abraham accords declaration. It seems like everything's being prepared for the building of the third temple. Let's assume, let's assume today, today, what's the day today? December 10, 2020. Let's assume today, everything is a go. Everything has a green light. You can now rebuild, you can build a temple. They would still not be able to rebuild a temple. There's still something lacking. If they had the green light, If the Abraham Accords have now garnered the cooperation of other Islamic states and there's friendly interactions between the U.S., Israeli, and Arab nations to the point that they all agree you can start building now the third temple. Israel would still not be able to build a temple. You know why? There's something missing, something valuable. And every day. When the Israeli people wake up in the morning and check the news, they're always checking for this. You know what it is? A red heifer. You see, they cannot build a temple and dedicate the temple without the red heifer. (laughs) You cannot build the third temple without the third heifer. This is what uh, it says. This is from the uh, Messianic Prophecy Bible Project, quoting the Temple Institute. Um, They quoted Numbers 19, verse 9. Isn't that what we study today? Right? According to the Temple Institute, the organization dedicated to preparing for the construction of the third temple in Jerusalem, these cleansing waters are necessary to ritually purify the temple mount area, the sacred vessels, and the entire Levitical priesthood, the people that are being prepared for service today the waters of sanctification were also sprinkled unto all those who were impure and many were uh, many were first purified in this process before entering the of the temple. Do you see the significance of the red heifer? <laughs> Without the red heifer they could not rebuild the temple. they could not consecrate the temple, they could not perform <clears throat> the services related with the temple. This is why it's so crucial that they find a red heifer. however, Finding a red heifer that's kosher, that's very rare. As a matter of fact, this is what it also says from the, uh, quoting again, the uh, Temple Institute. In order for a cow to qualify as a red heifer for this holy purpose of purification, it must meet the following requirements. Outlined in Numbers 19, which is what we study, and also in the writings of the oral tradition of the Talmud. Number one, the red heifer must be absolutely perfect in its redness. Take a look at this. Even two hairs of any other color will disqualify. Even its hooves must be red. If it was black, disqualify. If the red heifer started out with having hairs which are completely red, and as it was growing up, one hair becomes white or black, it is disqualified. (laughs) Number two, it was to be three or four years old. Although older animals could be used, younger could not. So it has to be at least three years old, okay? Number three, it must be free of any kind of internal or external defect or blemish. And so if it was two years old and so far it's perfect, but all of a sudden it gets diseased disease or it gets into an accident, it gets hurt, it's no longer kosher. Number three, number four, it must not have been used for any type of physical labor, and never have been placed under a yoke, not even once. So even if you place a blanket over it, it's no longer kosher. <laughs> you see how strict they are? The Israelites, according to the oral tradition of the Talmud, only an animal that meets all these requirements may be used to provide the ashes of the purification process in fulfillment of the commandment. This is why it's so hard to get a red Heifer that meets all of these requirements. As a matter of fact, the Temple Institute, which has already prepared the sacred temple vessels, has in the past identified two possible red heifer candidates, one in 1997. They thought that was the one. And then again in 2002, they thought that was the one. Although both were initially thought to be kosher, they were later found to be un suitable because when they got older they became disqualified even christian zionist ranchers in texas have tried to produce a red heifer that they hope could be transported to israel still efforts to produce the para aduma are ongoing and rumors abound that this rare red heifer does exist today you see when news comes out that there is a red heifer that is perfect that has been born in israel that's going to be the most exciting news in Israel that's what they're all waiting for it may not be exciting to us but for Israel it is exciting the appearance of a red heifer and why is that such exciting news if you still remember the book of Numbers 19 verse 12 it's going to quote it here he must purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day he will be clean But if he does not purify himself on the third and seventh days, he will not be clean. Have you ever, have you asked yourself, you know, when you first encountered this passage, why the third day and why the seventh day? It turns out the first heifer that was sacrificed took place on the third millennium, which would mean the last. Heifer to be sacrificed will take place when? The seventh millennium. We're approaching that seventh millennium. And so what does that mean? It could be that this red heifer is already being prepared, which would be a catalyst to end time events. And I got this from gotquestions.org. According to rabbinical tradition, there have been nine red heifers sacrificed since Moses' time. The first one was in the third millennium, Moses' time. Since the destruction of the second temple, no red heifers have been slaughtered. The rabbi, Maimonides, taught that the 10th red heifer would be sacrificed by the Messiah himself. Those who anticipate the construction of a third temple are eager to find a red heifer that meets all the conditions because the red heifer ashes will be necessary to purify the new temple. Many consider that the appearance of a red heifer will herald the construction of the temple and the return of Christ. According to the Temple Institute, a group advocating the construction of a third temple, a flawless red heifer was born in August, 2018 in Israel. August, 2018. So how old is that now? Just over two years old. Does that qualify? It needs how many more years? One more year. Right? Could it be that this red heifer, there's actually two of them, being cared for by Israel, could it be by 2021 in August? Maybe August 21, 2021. Maybe by then. When it turns three and they examine it again, it would pass. What would that mean for the heifer? It's gonna burn, (laughs) right? And so how are these two red heifers doing now? Remember, they were born in August 2018. How do they look now?
1: Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the Torah which Hashem commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and have them take for you a perfectly red unblemished cow, upon which no yoke was laid. Five years ago, the Temple Institute began its Raise a Red Heifer in Israel project. Just under two years ago, we announced the birth of our first red heifer candidates, two perfectly red heifers eligible for the historic role of being the red heifer who returns to Israel after 2,000 years, the ability to achieve the highest level of Torah purity. Since their birth, the rabbinic experts of the Temple Institute have been keeping a close watch on these heifers, for any non-red hair that a heifer sprouts or any minor injury that the heifer sustains will disqualify it from being a kosher red heifer. This past week, June 2020, we visited our two most advanced red heifers and filmed them. In the upcoming weeks, they will receive another visit from the Temple Institute's experts for yet another close inspection. Should either or both of these red heifers remain eligible candidates, we will soon be ready to advance toward the stage of actually preparing the ashes. How wonderful to imagine that these two innocent, unsuspecting creatures could, in the very near future, advance Israel and the world to the next stage of the redemption and the building of the Holy Temple.
0: Uh, so if they're perfect, they get a reward, right? They get to be burned. And so, who knows? Maybe by August twenty, twenty-one, next year, 2021, who knows? Maybe they burn this red heifer, and they also build the temple in Israel, and they start the ceremonies and the sacrifices and the offering. What does that mean? It means it is set up for end times. right? Do you see the importance of red heifer? Without the red heifer, there can be no temple. There can be no dedication. However, there's also another temple. That Yahuwah God is building. People of Israel want to build their own temple, right? But Yahuwah God is building a different temple. What temple is God building? What kind of temple? Yeah, in the book of 1 Peter 2, 4 to 5, come to the Lord, the living stone rejected by people as worthless but chosen by God as valuable. Come as living stones and let yourselves be used in building the spiritual temple where you will serve as holy priests to offer spiritual and acceptable sacrifices to God through Yahusha Christ. Yes, God is building a temple now. What kind of temple is God building? He's building a spiritual temple. What does apostle Peter exhort all of us to do? Bible says, let yourselves be used in building the spiritual temple. In other words, we need to let ourselves become living stones that will comprise this spiritual temple that God is building upon the one foundation stone who is Yahusha the Christ. Why must we build upon Yahusha the Christ as a spiritual temple so that we can serve as holy priests? This is what we're going to do Saturday. We're going to dedicate ourselves because the Bible says let yourselves Be used in building the spiritual temple. Let ourselves serve as priests of Yahusha the Christ. We will be used as we offer ourselves to God in building the spiritual temple. However, do we need a red heifer sacrifice? Because Israel needs a red heifer sacrifice. Do we need a red heifer sacrifice? What is your answer? No. Why not? Book of Hebrews 9 13 and 14. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Do we need a red heifer sacrifice? No. Because in Yahushua's sacrifice, he unified three distinct Levitical sacrifices. Can you see that in Hebrews 9, 13, 14? If you look at Hebrews 9, 13, 14, there are three sacrifices that you can find that Yahushua has met for us. Do you see them? What is the first one? Notice the blood of bulls and goats. What sacrifice is that? That's the atonement sacrifice. Remember the day of atonement? Once a year, the high priest will offer a, 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 a bull for his sins and a goat for the sins of the people. Remember that? That's the atonement sacrifice. That's one kind of sacrifice. What else? Well, when did Yahusha die? On the day of Passover. He was also the Passover lamb, right? So that's the Passover lamb sacrifice. But there's also a third one. What does it say there? And the ashes of a heifer. heifer. Did you notice that before? You probably passed over it. We did not know what that meant. What is the purpose of the ashes of a heifer? It's not for the forgiveness of sins. No. What is it for? It is to cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see, brethren, before we can serve as, high, as, as priests, before we can serve as living stones in the temple, we need to be cleansed by a heifer sacrifice. That is what gives us the right to be able to serve the living God. Yahushua, in his perfect sacrifice, he unifies all three of these. This is why in the three sacrifices, the atonement, the Passover lamb, the red heifer, it has different purposes. What is the purpose of the atonement sacrifice? It is for the atonement of sin so that we can be put right legally with Yahuwah God. What is the purpose of the Passover lamb? It's so that we can have the wrath of God pass over us because Jehovah God has decreed judgment upon the world. But those who are included... Among those who have been covered by the shed blood of Yahusha, they are going to have the wrath of God pass over them. And we also have the red heifer sacrifice where we can be cleansed from dead works to serve the living God. This is why this coming Saturday, brethren, everything has been set up. What we need to do now is to give ourselves, to be used as living stones. How can we do that? What is our part? Yahushua has given his life for us. What now is our part? The book of Romans 12, verse 1. So then, my friends, because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer this Saturday. This is what we're going to do. We will offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. This is why we will have an oath-taking. We will pledge our loyalty to Yahuwah Abba and to Yahusha HaMashiach and the work that we must do in service and dedication to our God and His beloved Son. This is why we believe, brothers and sisters, the formation of the assembly of Yahusha was foreordained long ago in fulfillment of prophecy. Do you still remember how this all started back in November 1, 2020? We're almost done. But I just wanted to relate to you what happened. November 1, 2020, there was a discussion about the possibility of registering as a religious organization. However, it met with much resistance. And so I backed off. It met with too many too much resistance, could it be the will of Abba to register as a religious organization? And then there was someone who mentioned Proverbs 19, 21. And this is what inspired all of us. Bible says in Proverbs 19, people make, may plan all kinds of things, but Yahuwah's will is going to be done. And so if it's Yahuwah's will, this will take place. However, we need to be cautious here. Why? Because we cannot say that just because something happens, it's automatically the will of God. It could not be the will of God. God may perhaps just permitted it to happen, right? And so how do we know? How can we know that what we are doing, that what we have done is indeed the will of Abba, the will of God? Yes, we know it's been done. But is it because of Jehovah's will? Is it his plan all along? How can we know if it is his plan? How can we know the will of God? In the book of Corinthians 10, 11, all these things happened to them as examples for others and they were written down as a warning for us for we live at a time when the end is about to come. How can we know? If what we do is indeed the will of God, where can we find the will of God? It is written down. Where is it written down upon? the scriptures you know when you read the scriptures you know what you will find the history of God's people making mistakes the history of God's people obeying with acts of courage and so every piece of history of God's people recorded in scripture is there for a purpose why to guide us when do we need to all the more look into scripture for guidance Bible says, when the end is about to come. Isn't this what we are doing? We're looking at the details of scripture because it will serve as an example for us so that we will know the will of Alba, so that in everything we do, it is patterned after what God wants to happen. And this is why we study the history of God's people because every chapter, has a lesson for us to learn that is applicable, especially when the end is about to come. Do you agree? That's why after November one, when we had the question, is it the will of Abba? Is it the will of Yahuwah that we will register as a religious organization? What did we do? We looked for guidance. It just so happens the series of Bible history projects was around the book of numbers, right? Did we plan that? No. It just turned out that the first lesson was about Kadesh and then untethered and then rebellion and then rod of Aaron and then today the red heifer. Do you notice the connection? Do you see the guidance and the hand of God at work leading us to where we are today? I hope you can see that. Remember Kadesh, what can we learn from Kadesh? What did we learn from Kadesh? Right When the opportunity to occupy the land was given, the name of Yahusha was revealed through Moses, wasn't it? When we are given that name, Yahusha, it's a sign to move forward and let the temple be built in the name of salvation. Yahuwah says, go take the land, occupy the land. I'm giving you this name, Yahusha, because in that land you're going to occupy, you're going to build me a temple. that temple that will bear my name. That was the message of Kadesh. Do not waste the opportunity. When God has given us the name, it meant he wanted us to do something with that name. It meant we are to use that name in the temple, the spiritual temple God is building. And so next we went to untethered. The lesson we learned in untethered, in order to move forward, we have to first be untethered from the past, right? A lot of us, It seems that we're stuck in the past. Why? Because of the passing of our spiritual leaders, our human leaders. But we have to be untethered from the past so that we can at last heed the voice and the direction of Yahuwah and Yahusha as they direct our steps towards the work of restoration and refinement. We have to be untethered from the past just like the people of God needed to be untethered from the past to be able to go and occupy the promised land. Afterwards, we studied rebellion. What did we learn when we give our allegiance and loyalty to human leaders and refuse the voice of our true king? That is an act of rebellion. You see, the true act of rebellion is not rebelling against a a leader here on earth, but rebelling against your true leader who is in heaven. Sometimes because of our allegiance to our visible leaders, we no longer listen and heed the voice of our king from above. Brethren, that is rebellion we need to have loyalty to our king who leads us from heaven and from there we have the rod of Aaron the authority that we have to be built as a spiritual temple made of living stones came from Yahushua the rod from the son of Jesse and if you look at Zechariah what is the purpose of this branch it is to build the spiritual temple that gave us the authority to be built by God upon the foundation of Yahusha. This is why that was the direction we took, registering as a religious organization, the same way the people of God, Israel was registered. The assembly of Yahusha must likewise be registered. His authority is revealed in prophecy, which we also studied. And today, brethren, because this Saturday, we're going to have our dedication worship service. It is but fitting. That we are reminded of the sacrifice of Yahushua. Why? Because in order to serve in the temple, the red heifer cleansing was required by law. Because of Yahushua's sacrifice, we can now be living stones built up as spiritual temples, a spiritual temple and serve as priests of Yahushua. And so when you can see the lessons that we have been studying, what has been guiding us all along, brethren? Was it not the word of God? It was not the word of men, but the word of God. That is our basis. This is why we have courage. This is why we firmly believe what we will do this Saturday is the will of Abba that registering as an assembly, assembly of Yahusha, it's the will of our God. We know and we believe this because it is based upon scripture. This is why from here on, what should be our guide in everything that we do and in every decision we make. In Romans 15 verse four, everything written in the scriptures was written to teach us in order that we might have hope through the patience and encouragement which the scriptures give us. Brethren, don't you love the scriptures? When you look at what has happened over the past week, this is the hand of God. He has directed us to his book, to his scriptures, piece by piece, step by step. It is his words that has provided direction in everything that we have done. And it is also going to be the same in everything that we will do. And so, brethren, with confidence and faith, we will make a pledge of loyalty to our Abba and to his son. Because we use as our basis the scriptures, the word of God, for us to be brought to them so that we can form, we can be together as the spiritual temple belonging to God and his son. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Yes. Thank you so much. Yes. For the clarity of your holy words. Yes, Father. For some time after. We were taken out of the institution. Yes. We did not know where to do, to look and what to do. Yes. But we looked into your book. Yes. Piece by piece, slowly, you revealed to us your will. Amen. It was not all instant. Yes. We had to go through it yes. laboriously. But even if we had to put in the effort. Yes. We enjoyed every step of the way, yes. every time we learn from you,
1: yes.
0: no matter how small the details may be, even if it is from a book that we sometimes never heard of. Yes. Father, we find so much richness in your works. Yes. It has given us inspiration, Yes, given us encouragement. During this time, you know what is happening in our life. Yes. Amidst the tragedy, calamity, diseases throughout the world, you are putting together an assembly of people whom you call as your sons and daughters in fulfillment of your prophecy. We never thought this was going to happen. We never planned this at all. This is your plan and purpose, not ours. And so, Father, we are truly thankful. because we are a part of it we ask you to please be with us yes because the work we do will cause others to persecute us yes we accept that father because we know when we proclaim your name yes when we proclaim your son's name yes we will receive much persecution yes as part of the prophecy so be it loving abba Yes. What matters to us is that you're pleased with us. Yes. And so help us, please, yes. in all that we will do. Amen. Yahusha, our King, yes. thank you for we are living stones built upon you as our foundation. Yes. We will never deviate from you. Your yes. voice is what matters to us. We need to heed your voice. Yes. Please yes. guide us by means of your Spirit as we prepare ourselves yes. in the work that is ahead. May you be our King. May we hear your voice leading us to our salvation. Father, please bless your people throughout the world. May you guide and teach us what we need to do in preparation for our great day of salvation. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. For we ask and beg all things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.